Hello, good morning. Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. It's Wednesday, the 13th of May. Today on the show, could the long lunch and cheaper beer be part of the solution for the hospitality industry? It is really struggling in the wake of COVID-19. We're going to speak to celebrity chef Colin Fastnich a little later. First, I'm joined by Jamila Rizvi. Good morning, Jamila. Hey, I want to know if you're going to ask our celebrity chef friend about Pete Evans. Ah, I will, actually. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. First, let's find out what else is going on in the world. Are we witnessing the start of a trade war with China? The global superpower has banned Aussie beef from four abattoirs without any warning, putting a cloud over thousands of jobs here at home. This comes just weeks after PM Scott Morrison got the Chinese government offside by demanding an independent inquiry into the origins of coronavirus. Here's Trade Minister Simon Birmingham. This is an understandable concern for Australian agriculture. Thousands of jobs uh, relate to these meat processing facilities. Uh, many more farmers rely upon them in terms of uh, selling cattle uh, into those facilities. Uh, and it is a very important market uh, for Australia. Yeah, so the ban on those four abattoirs is pretty concerning news because it comes just days after China unveiled plans to slap an 80% tariff on Aussie barley. Now, this will have enormous implications given China is our biggest beef market. Um, It's worth over $3 billion a year. These trade restrictions are being blamed on technicalities with both sides denying that this is a result of Australia's call for the inquiry. Yeah, it's pretty concerning. Um, If this is a trade war with China, it's one that we certainly can't afford at the moment given our economy's taken such a hit in so many areas. And if it is related to us calling for that independent inquiry... You've got to wonder, Jamila, whether we did the right thing by being a leading voice for that uh, inquiry or, or whether we should have waited and been part of a more multilateral call for that inquiry. I think you're absolutely right. China is never subtle when it comes to punishing countries, but also takes things kind of personally very quickly. And $3 billion in beef exports, that's an enormous figure. That's half the government's predicted surplus that, thanks to coronavirus, we're never actually going to have. Yeah, and obviously you don't want to completely back down to China. You want to stand your ground, but... um I think you've got to be careful when you you step out too early or or alone or not with the support of other big nations. (coughs) I'm lucky I've got some water. Too long a speech. (coughs) 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 That's the Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg who has spent the night in isolation after an epic coughing Mm. fit in Parliament yesterday. He was just metres from the Prime Minister when it happened, Tom. Yeah, he should get the test results today. (laughs) It came at a pretty bizarre time. Obviously, it was in the national spotlight. Um, The cameras were rolling, of course, it was in Parliament. But he was giving a very bleak economic update when those words basically became too much to swallow. He was telling the Chamber that unemployment's going to hit 10% in the June quarter leaving 1.4 million people out of work. Look, there is a little bit of good coronavirus news, though. New South Wales, our biggest state, had no new cases yesterday for the first time since February, as did Tasmania, the Northern Territory, the ACT, South Australia and Queensland. Well done, Team Australia. Yeah, that is good news. Um, The testing blitzes have been a big part of that. Um, But if you thought our testing blitz in Australia was intense, uh, in Wuhan, where the outbreak began... 
It's aiming to test the entire population of 11 million people in just 10 days after it experienced its first cluster since restrictions were lifted. Honestly, that's amazing, isn't it? Compare that to the United States where it's almost impossible to get a test unless you're on death's door. Yeah, there's been these moments in the pandemic where um, the ability of China to move so fast and on such a huge scale like the, the very quick way they built that hospital in Wuhan has just been mind-blowing. I think you're right. And honestly, listening to the Treasurer having that coughing fit, it makes me uncomfortable every single time I hear it. It's the same in the supermarket. It's the same at the chemist. It's the same anywhere you are. When someone coughs in public now, you get this horrible sinking feeling in your stomach. Yeah, I guess people have a right to be careful, but that, that vibe is certainly pretty weird when that happens in public. And here's a pretty crazy figure. A new report has found Aussies are seeing one alcohol ad on their socials every 35 seconds. That's over 100 an hour. This research comes from the Cancer Council. It's particularly concerning that the industry is driving home the message that alcohol is essential to surviving the pandemic. It couldn't be further from the truth. That's the Cancer Council's WA Alcohol Program Manager, Julia Stafford, who's worried the alcohol industry is taking advantage of the crisis. Their study looks at the marketing tactics being used online. More than half of the advertisements were selling their product as an easy way to access alcohol without leaving their home and to save money by buying in bulk, while one in six alcohol companies were explicitly marketing booze as a way to survive or feel better during the crisis. Tom, you relying on the alcohol at all? Um, I've been drinking maybe slightly more regularly, but not more, so I'm not having the big big sessions out that I would normally have or the really long, you know, sessions at a restaurant. It's more like, all right, I might have a beer tonight on a a Tuesday or Wednesday, but it never gets more than, say, three. Yeah, right. So I don't drink, which I wonder if that's why I am not seeing these ads or if I am seeing them, but I'm just unconsciously screening them out as not relevant to me. I'm not seeing an ad every 35 seconds like that research is suggesting. Maybe I'm not in the target demo, but there certainly have been um, people cleverly marketing their alcohol delivery services. Um, So the industry is obviously responding and it has a right to do so, but I guess it also has a a sense of responsibility for how it does that and not to sort of prey on people as well. Yeah, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, I've got to say. makes me worried about people stuck at home on their own, feeling kind of isolated and a bit scared and getting a bit out of control with the booze without the usual supports around them. All right, thank you, Jamila. Speaking of booze, let's talk about the hospitality industry. Today I'm joined by Annika Smethurst and we're going to brief you on how cheaper beer and long lunches could save the hospitality industry. And Annika, I cannot wait to be in the safe hands of some professional chefs. I had an absolute disaster in the kitchen last night. What were you attempting, Tom? I tried to do something quite simple, like battered calamari rings, and uh, went through the recipe. I was watching the news on TV at the same time as cooking. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but instead of ending up with nice crispy battered calamari it was this gross sludge caked calamari wow for the sake of your family and friends it sounds like we desperately need to get those restaurants back open and unfortunately that's not the case even only 10 people can get into some of them at the moment yeah we're going to find out how the industry can bounce back and how some tax incentives on beer and lunches might make a difference also how they're going to deal with a 10-person limit. We're going to see what My Kitchen Rules chef Colin Fasnage thinks about that in a moment. I do get where the government's coming from because we have a pub 
So you can imagine after a few schooners, you're just trying to tell someone to stay in his little square. It's not <laughs> going to work, is it? Annika, you wrote a story about this in the Sunday Telegraph on the weekend. Talk us through this beer tax and long lunch idea. So we all know that pubs and clubs and restaurants have been really hard hit in this. And for the most part, they haven't complained. They've shut their doors in order to save lives. But now they want a few tiny tax changes that just might see more revenue flowing back in when this is all over. So at the top of their list is a twice-year tax increase on beer. So two times a year, the Australian government pump up the price of beer to keep up with inflation. And they're saying, we need to freeze this. So Aussies get cheaper beer, we get back into pubs and money starts flowing again. The second one's an interesting one. Back in the 80s, you could go out for lunch take a few people from work, take a client, and it was tax deductible. It was a tax write-off. Paul Keating changed all that in 1986 and was told, at the time, it was seen that he was killing off the long lunch. I spoke to a few people that are around back then. They described going out for lunch at midday on a Friday and sort of getting home at (laughs) 1am. So that's something they want to come back, uh, and they think that this tax perk might just do it. Okay, well, let's speak to the guy who's making that case to the government for Australian pubs. His name is Stephen Ferguson. He's the CEO of the Australian Hotels Association. Ferg, thanks for joining us. Now, you represent thousands of pub owners across Australia. How hard has COVID-19 been for the industry? Well, Annika, the easiest way to describe it is to say that each one of those operations is currently losing about $30,000 per month whilst they're shut. So everyone drives past their local pub or restaurant and thinks, okay, that business is shut. But the reality is they're still paying insurance, they're still paying land tax, council rates, they're accruing costs in annual leave. So really they're just burning money. And the problem for them is they're sitting there and going, well, how long can we hang on for? So one of the ideas being touted is to cut the beer tax. Um, Currently it increases twice a year. How would these changes work and would you pass on the savings to the customer or would it be about helping the business get a better margin? Tom, the great point about our uh, suggestion on beer tax is that every cent of it would flow through to consumers. Currently, on the price of a carton of beer, about 42% of it is tax. Wow. So every time you have a stubby or a can of beer, probably the first three or four sips are for the tax man and the rest are for yourself. <laughs> now, Ferg, I've had a long lunch with you and you're pretty good at it, but you're looking at bringing back tax-free lunches or putting the putting your lunch on the tax man, sorry. This was something that was, you know, around in the 80s. Can you take us back to what it was like then before FBT when people had the long lunch? I'm not sure how old you think I am, Annika, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't around having long lunches in the <laughs> 70s and the 80s. But look, what we're talking about is that when they brought in the FBT, it was targeted at the big end of town uh, to stop them basically sort of subsidising their salary by going out, by, by putting in big business lunches. What the big end of town has done is they've shifted all their big lunches now into their boardrooms, all the big law firms, all the big accountancy firms. When you go to the big cities, they've got these massive boardrooms where they now hold their lunches. So they've effectively escaped FBT. What we're saying is that the hotel industry is under tremendous pressure. I mean, we have, um, you know, we've got a quarter of a million people. We're going to be coming out of this. We don't know how, how tough it's going to be. And all we're doing is making a suggestion to the government that perhaps this is one way that we can increase uh, the spend back in hotels. Our plan's more geared towards, you know, the tradies and small business people and hairdressers or whatever. And if I could put it this way, what it's about is being able for a boss to say to the, you know, a, a, an employee for great performance to shout the mistake in a beer down the pub and not have to pay FBT on it. 
it might be to send them away, them and their partner away for a weekend and not have to pay FBT. The beautiful thing of it is that uh, it comes at cost neutral to the government. And Stephen, are you considering um, taking down people's details for contact tracing? It's something they're doing um, in in Chinese establishments, um, particularly in Australia for people who haven't downloaded the tracing app. Is that something you guys are thinking about? Well, we're very strong supporters of the tracing app and, and quite frankly, we would have preferred that it be made mandatory. Um, we're not allowed to actually, you know, sort of say people can come in or not come in on the basis of a tracing app. Look, many venues of ours have, you know, they have uh, CCTV. Uh, there's other ways that we can do things rather than taking people's names down. Many hotels have regulars, and these are the, probably the people that would come back. So it's pretty easy to work out who people are in, in most pubs. But, no, we aren't as strong as, say, a licensed club or or that type of establishment which, which does identify everyone coming in. That was Stephen Ferguson, CEO of the Australian Hotels Association. Now let's talk to celebrity chef Colin Fastnidge. He's got quite a few things to say about the 10-person limit. Colin, thanks for joining us. You opened the Banksia Bistro, your latest venture, about two weeks before the shutdown. How's this been for you? Uh, oh, well, we were open a little bit before that, but, I mean, business was going well. Everything was going well. We've got Terminus in Piermont as well. And then when it shut down, we were in shock because, like, you know, you have to stand down your staff. Um, it was something we'd never had to deal with, you know, it's just see, just to see a staff broken and all those overseas workers we had as well. And there was no – we didn't know there was going to be money coming in from the government. So we, um, you know, we, we paid our staff out of our, out of our own money just to um, get them over the line. Now, Colin, we've seen a lot of rules sort of being eased in different states and some states are allowing up to 10 people into a cafe or restaurant. But how does that really work for businesses? Is there any way you could break even with that sort no, of uh, no, allowance? You know, what, what's it going to be like? No, straight off the bat, you're not going to break even. We were already in the, the hospitality industry was already in dire straits before this. People really don't pay what food is worth at the moment and, and we were sort of you know subsidizing the customer just to get through so for the 10 people like maybe somewhere like a small sushi restaurant that has a high turnover and can bump them out like within 10 minutes uh could do it but we couldn't and it would be more expensive to have the building open we, we'd actually be worse off i think a lot of people are doing takeaway now and have taken on a lot of initiatives they like the hospitality industry is very good when they're back to the wall sometimes so a lot of guys have a new stream of business and I think a lot of people will go with that for the moment and wait till it's worthwhile to open. So will that be stage two where you can have 20 people or stage three when you can have well, at 100? Least, at, yeah, at least stage two, at least stage two and then and then moving on. But I do, I do get where the government's coming from because we have a pub. So you can imagine after a few schooners, you're trying to tell someone to stay in this little square. It's not going to work, is it? <laughs> no. The other idea was changing the fringe benefits tax so that you could actually write off long business lunches and get that that scene reminiscent of the 80s back into full swing. I imagine you're pretty keen on that too. Mate, I, I'm, I'm pretty keen on that, but I think the only way you're going to get that is you get one of them back to the future cars because I think the era of long, <laughs> those long lunches are well gone for years. Like we're, we're not going to get back to normal, I reckon, till mid next year. It, this, is, this is a long process. And I think as every restaurateur is, is hurting, they don't want to rush back into it and have a second wave because I reckon that would be more detrimental to us. I think people are sitting it out and Australia has done really well and they just want to get it done properly. And then when there's enough people 
then we'll open. Are you concerned too, Colin, on the other side of this, you know, we're going to have high unemployment and potentially in a recession, people will have less money to spend. So even if you can let more people in your restaurant, do you think there'll be that drop in disposable income and people just won't be coming out more? Uh, what I'm what I'm seeing is when we open and we open properly, the place will be flooded, right? Straight off the bat. Yeah. And then it's going to die in the ass because the bills are going to kick in, the mortgages are going to come back off hold and not as many people are going to have jobs. So there's not going to be that um, disposable income to have. So this long lunch thing is not going to happen. Colin, before we let you go, I've got to ask you about Pete Evans, your former My Kitchen Rules mate. He's been posting conspiracy theories around COVID, you know, Bill Gates, that kind of stuff. What do you make of that? Look, uh, pizza made of mine. What, like, we don't always, we agree on some stuff and we don't agree on other things. But, you know, it's a free country and pizza allowed to say what he wants, uh, as long as he doesn't harm anyone. I'll just leave it at that. Pizza made of mine. Yeah. That's it. Are you wor- stand by your mates. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Are you worried the show won't go ahead and what he's done might affect you? Oh, no, it won't affect me. Like, man, I've done a lot of bad things in my time. I was affected him, yeah? <laughs> As you know, Tom. Um, <laughs> mate, it's like the ratings weren't very good the last. I don't think that was just down to uh, anything about Pete. I just think it needed a little refresh. And it's it's like business, mate. Seven are in a uh, world of pain, like nine and ten. Do you know what I mean? Free to air, doing it really tough. They're, they've got their own uh, corona drama. Like the stuff like Netflix and all the um, yeah. your movies getting streamed straight to your uh, TV. That, that's what's hurting TV at the moment. So it's sort of a, a wake-up call for everybody. Colin, one more thing. I botched a calamari recipe last night really badly and my girlfriend was really pissed off and um, it was quite a bad scene. So for that reason, I'm hoping restaurants reopen. Can I just say, if, you're, if you can't cook and your house and your garden looks like crap after Corona, there's a serious problem. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I've learned a few lessons. I learned a pretty tough one last night. I'll cook I'll cook it again for you one day, Tom. Great to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for coming on. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. That was the wonderful Colin Fastnage. You may know him from My Kitchen Rules. Annika, he painted a grim long-term picture there for restaurants. Yeah, I think that's the real message I took away from this, that I know we all want to get back in them in the next few weeks and spend our cash, but it's really going to have to be long-term, you know, 18 months' time, a year's time, to really support them when that downturn hits. Yeah, so I think the government will have to consider all those ideas like cutting the beer tax or changing fringe benefits tax if it can support this industry that's going to be hit so hard for so long. Um, Watch this space. Annika, thanks so much for today. Great to join you. Tomorrow on The Briefing, you've seen all the press conferences with the chief medical officers giving those important updates all the way through the corona crisis. Well, tomorrow we're going to have the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Michael Kidd on the program answering the most important questions for this moment in the crisis. That's tomorrow. Subscribe to The Briefing on the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.